conditioner next Sunday. Amen? All right. Well, I want to welcome everybody watching my live stream. I want to welcome all of you beautiful people. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus has something good for me today. He does. Nothing but good news. The Lord always has something good for you. The cornerstone of our faith is the goodness of God. It's not about you. It's about him. He loves you just because he wants to, and he wants to be good to you just because he wants to. It has nothing to do with you. You can blow the whole house up and say, Daddy, fix it, and he'll fix it, right? You keep blowing the house up until you get sick and tired of blowing the house up, but God will take care of you, and he always has something good for you. Devil's a liar, good Jesus, bad devil, not anywhere close to the same, but nonetheless, I just want to encourage someone with that this morning. We're um, just going to take a break from the Gospel of uh, John. We're going through the Gospel of John, but we're going to be installing an elder this, this, uh, elder family this morning. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the church and what structures and different things are within the church. If we're part of the church, isn't it important that we understand the church? Is it, is it like, would this be like a relative question? Right? No? Anybody here? We're a participation church, so I like participation. So you can, you can amen me. You can, you can throw fruit at me. I used to do street preaching, so I'm used to people throwing stuff at me, you know, things like that. So anyway, we're talking to talk about the church. And so uh, what is, we're talking about what is the church, why it is, what, what, what God's intent for her is, and why uh, certain things exist, and really what the structure of the church is. So what, what is the church? This is a question. I literally spent two years of my life looking into what a church was or is before I ever started this church. And we think we know what the church is on the outside, but God has a different idea a lot of times than what we actually present. He has a template that he's created, and it behooves us to actually study what it means. It took me a long time. You know, if you ever go on a journey with Jesus and you're trying to understand something, one of the things that God does, especially with me, is he shows me what's wrong or what it's not before he ever tells me what it is. He'll say, well, it's not that, Kevin. It's not that. It's not that. I'm like, okay, it's none of that. But what is it, Lord? What is it? And a lot of times we think it's obvious, but it's not. Um, the Greek word comes from, is, is rooted in the word ekkaleo. This is a, an extremely important word if you're a Christian and you care about the things of God. The word ekkaleo means to call. That's where the word ekkaleo comes from. And the word ecclesia is rooted in the word ekkaleo. And everybody, if you're a believer, you are called. Put your hand on your heart. I'm called. I'm created on purpose, with a purpose. It may not feel like it. That may be my circumstances. But the truth is, I'm called on purpose. And created on purpose, with a purpose. Yeah? I'm, I'm hearing the Lord telling me to do so. I'm trying to pull back to here, but he's like, say this. I'm like, say that? All right, so I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it. 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 <laughs> this is for somebody. Say it with me. Circumstances do not define me. Truth defines me. I am not governed by my circumstances. The Bible says circumstances are subject to change, but the eternal is unchanging because it is truthful. The Lord has called me to pursue truth until truth becomes my reality. Hmm? 
You're a son or a daughter, but your reality may tell you everything that's the opposite of that. Your reality isn't your determining factor. Truth is you're to pursue the truth until truth becomes your reality. You're blessed in season and out. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't look like it. You're to pursue truth until truth becomes your reality. You're not to make covenants with circumstances. This, again, is the articulate liar. We're temporal people. He tries to get us to look at circumstances. He tries to get us to react emotionally, right? We're not to react emotionally. We're to react truthfully. Like, what does the word say? What does God say? You understand this? I don't know who this is for, but I feel, real, I feel like almost like a magnet to, to say this. So this is for somebody. So for somebody who's feeling suffocating by their circumstances and by their reality, your reality is not the determining factor. Jesus and truth is the determining factor. Amen? So this word ekkaleo means to be called out from. Call, say it with me. Called out from. Called unto. And sent forth from. It's the whole idea of ekkaleo. Right? A kaleo is a calling upon every believer's life. We are called out of darkness and into light. We are called unto our Father. Right? We call unto him. To, to what? To know him. And to not only know him, but to understand and grow and know who we are in him. This is the basis of the relationship. God wants us out of darkness, and he calls us unto himself, that we would learn him, know him, understand him, and that in understanding him, we begin to understand ourselves as, we, as he relates to us. This is how it works, right? And so and as, we, as we develop and we grow in that relationship, then we go forth from that relationship and bring that truth to the world around us. This is God's intent. This is what ekaleo means. You see with Jesus, right? He called his disciples away from what? The boats, right? He called them out from. He told Abraham, get out of your father's house, right? Come with me. Called out from past lives, former lives, former, whatever. We're called out from. We're called unto Jesus. And so what God did, you see it with his disciples, he called them out from their normal lives. He told them to follow him. As they followed him, they grew, they understood, they you know, became functionally dysfunctional. And then as they grew with the Lord, he sent them out. Did he not? to take what they had received and bring it to other people, other places, other things. This is the essence of ekkaleo. This is the essence of what God intends for every believer. The word ecclesia is the assembly of called out ones. So the word ecclesia is an assembly, but it's far more than an assembly. It's a revolutionary assembly. This, this word, ecclesia, when I began to understand it, I looked at all the definitions. It's an assembly of called out ones. Yep, that's absolutely true. But it's way deeper than that. When you look at how it was used in the ancient world, you get a lot more vivid picture of what God intended it to be. The ecclesia. The translators could have used any words to, to translate the word church. The Greek word synagogue means gathering. They didn't use synagogue. They didn't use that. They did the, the early church used the word kyrios doma, which is to say the Lord's house. That's not in the Bible. That's where we get to actually get the word church from, is curious noma, you know, comes from the, you know, God's house. We're, we're far more than God's house. We're a collection of people moving together in unity and in power, right? The strength of the church is in the corporate, power, is in the corporate gathering. The strength of the church is in its unity of mind and vision. The word ecclesia in the Greeks, to the Greeks, if, the, if, if you had, I've shared this many times because this is a baseline of understanding here at Elevate because we want to know what the church is. We want to give Jesus what he's asking for, do we not? Yes, this is the whole game. Give the Lord what he wants, not what we want, not what a denomination wants, not what somebody else wants. Give the Lord what he's asking for. And the Lord says, I want an ecclesia. Well, what's an ecclesia? It, it's the word uprising. 
is what it is. And so what it is, that's what that word means. In Greece, when the, when the society or the world became corrupt, when it became oppressive, when it became greed and pain and rage and anger and destruction and selfishness, someone within that culture, this is Greek society, they would call for an ecclesia. And they would create a group of people. People would gather to the person who's calling for an ecclesia. And they would literally become, you know what they would become? A city within a city. Does that sound familiar? And the city within a city began to operate not out of, they would become the contrary, the opposite of what they were experiencing. So instead of greed, they would be generous. Instead of hate, there would be love, right? Instead of destruction, there would be construction. So this is what the word ecclesia actually means. It means an uprising. Revolutionary term, right? This is what I bought into. When I became a believer, I didn't, I didn't buy into the fact. When I, came, when I became a Christian, well, the first thing it got me to say was like, hey, Kevin, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. And I was kind of like, what? Okay, um, how do I do that? What exactly does that mean? You're lost, you're hopeless, you're helpless. This is a fact. This is an inconvenient truth, but it's all through the Bible, Christian. We're lost without Jesus, and we're condemned in our sin. And this was taught to me and understood to me and guy witnessed to me, and I'm like, well, what do I got to do? What must I do to be saved? That's the first thing. Then as I began to buy into the whole gospel thing, it was the transformative power that was presented to me, that God will completely transform your life if you will follow him. If you will follow him and develop and build relationship with you, he will literally transform you. And he will use you to transform the world around you. This is the revolution. I didn't buy into sit around and twiddle your thumbs and wait till Jesus comes back. Nobody taught me that. They taught me revolution. And I was like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I, I left everything. I'm like, that's what's going to happen? And, I, and that was years ago, and I'm still going strong. I'm, go, I'm stronger than ever, by the way. And I was going into that. There's the transformative power of the gospel is what changed me. Say it with me. Transformed people. Transform families. Transform families. Transform neighborhoods. Transformed neighborhoods. Transforms cities. And transform cities. Transform nations. You get the picture? It's the transformative, revolutionary power of the ecclesia, of the ekkaleo and the ecclesia. We are individually called, but we are also corporately called. And you cannot parse one without the other. You can't. It's called out from. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2. The church is, this church is a kingdom culture church. That's what we are. Say, what kind of church is elevated? It's a kingdom culture church. And people say, well, what's the kingdom culture? And I'm like, you just asked the right question. That is the question. The world has a culture, right? Does it not? No? Nobody knows that? Okay. So the word culture and the word, the word world in the, in the scripture is a Greek word cosmos, and it means system of thought. So the world has a system of thinking. And if you don't, if you just, all you got to do is look outside. If you, don't, if you don't get out much, you should get, stick your head out the window one time and just look at what's going on in the world around you. There's a culture. There's another culture that's actually being rammed down our throats right now. Whether you want it or not, it's coming at you live. Right? The world has a way of thinking and a way of acting. It's a system of greed. It's a system of corruption. It's like you are only beneficial. If you're only useful if you benefit me. That's the world's culture. You're not, you, that, that's just kind of how this whole thing rolls out. Are you guys with me? Yeah, the world has a culture. The church has a culture. Not everything that's in the church is the kingdom culture. This is shock and awe. I know it's true. A lot of the things that we put into our churches does not reflect the culture of the kingdom. 
We put in rules, we put in regulations, we put in systems of preferences. You know, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. You know, no makeup, wear, let your, ladies get your hair long, wear a dress like you got off a wagon train, all that kind of stuff. Guys always in a suit, air, air high and tight. That's all cultural things. That's, 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 you know, that's part of a church culture, but it's not part of the kingdom culture. You understand? And so what we want is what we want is we want to be part of the king. What is the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven? It's really simple in that terms. If you understand that it's part of the king, the kingdom culture is what Jesus wants on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What's the will of God on earth as it is in heaven? He wants the culture of the kingdom on heaven. That's another teaching for another day. Huge topic. But what God is calling us away from is he's calling us away from a cultural mindset. We are transformed through the renewing of our mind. So long as we think like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, all that other stuff, you're in the world, but you're not of it. You're in a culture, but you are not part of that culture. You're part of heaven's culture. You're part of kingdom culture. And our job is to live the kingdom culture in the brokenness of the world culture. Say, what's that look like? Again, very powerful question. I can't answer all that today, but it's a, that's, that would be a great question. And so the way that God wants his ecclesia is we're called out from. We're called out from a way of thinking. Yeah, that's really what it is. It's not so much as a physical departure as much as it is in a mental and an intellectual departure in a belief system or a philosophical departure. We depart from the philosophy of the world and we engage ourselves in the philosophy of the kingdom. That's, that's the transformation is we become as he is. We have the mind of Christ. We begin to operate down that lane. This is where transformation comes. A lot of Christians have been saved a long time, but there's no transformative power in their life because they still act like the world, think like the world, everything, you know? I mean, they, they you know, whatever the world says, they respond to it. Whatever the newspaper or the television is saying, they respond to it. They're not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They're listening to the voice of the culture and there's no transformative power within their lives because they're submitting themselves to lesser voices. Uh-huh. You submit yourself to a lesser voice, and therefore, to whom you submit yourself, that is what you become enslaved to. That's what the scripture says. You submit to the voice of fear, you're a slave to fear. You submit to the voice of the culture, you're a slave to culture. It's just the way it is. And there's a lot of reasons behind that, and I'm really digging myself in with a lot of questions that I want to answer, but I, I, I don't have the focus to do that today. But, um, you know, you're not, we're, we're called out. So we want, Jesus wants transformative culture, what he's calling us away from. Then we have first Peter, your chosen generation. So here it is, right? Right? Off the rip, identity is over your life. You come to Christ and you know what you become? You come to Jesus day one, your chosen generation. You're not just chosen generation, you're chosen in your generation. When you come to Jesus, you're adopted with full rights of inheritance on day one. God puts an identity over you, and he, say it with me, Jesus calls me who and what I am long before I get there. Mm -hmm. He calls you son when you don't look like a son. He calls you daughter when you don't look like a daughter. He calls you chosen in your generation when you don't look anything close to that. Because truth is greater than reality. Remember that conversation? Right? He calls, the Bible says this, God gives life to the dead and calls what is not as though it were. He calls out of you what is not as if it was. He calls you what you are long before you get there. And you have a choice to partner with what Jesus says about you, or you have a choice to partner with what everybody else says about you and what you say about you. The choice is yours. 
He's not going to make you choose. He just says you're a chosen generation. Say it with me. I am a chosen generation. I am, say it with me. I am chosen. Come on. You got, Christian, some of you aren't doing this. And let me explain something to you. You don't have to do it. I'm not trying to guilt trip you into anything. But you need to understand. I'm trying to get you to understand how this kingdom works. This kingdom works through verbal activation. What shall we say to these things? We have to open our mouth. With the, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You have to participate with this kingdom. It's not said Christianity, come on, is not a spectator sport. You have to engage it. That's how it activates. It activates through your participation. Say it with me. I am chosen. In, I won't even look at you, so now I don't even know who's doing it. So I'm going to look at the pulpit. Hey, I am chosen in my generation. I am royal in my priesthood. And I'm part of God's holy nation. I am his special people called out of darkness into light to proclaim his praise. That's right. You who were not a people, now you are a people. He's Jesus saying, you were nothing, and now you're something. Right? You're a holy nation. You're part of God's reclamation plan. You're his nation. This is who, this is your his kingdom. Your royal priesthood. Do you know what that means? Do you know what a priest does? A priest ministers unto the Lord and from the Lord to the people. That's what a priest does. God gives you the privilege to minister unto him. This would change a lot of people's lives. If you started letting God minister to you and you started ministering unto the Lord, you started blessing him and honoring him and giving the things that minister to him. What would happen then? I can tell you what would happen. He's going to release. Because anytime you minister unto the Lord, he ministers back to you. And when he ministers back to you, you're to minister to other people. This is the power of ministry. This is what priesthood's all about. You know, we're all looking to receive from the Lord. No, let's give to him first. Right? Let's honor him first. Let's empty ourselves that he might fill us. Big difference. Big paradigm shift. You're here this morning. You're at the epicenter of what Jesus is doing. The church is the epicenter of what Jesus is doing. Not all churches. He's called all churches to it, but he is looking for kingdom culture churches through the kingdom. Bible says, to him be glory through the church. Anything and everything God is going to do through your life, you can write it down. You want to waste 10 years of your life? Go right ahead and waste 10 years of your life by disagreeing with this because I'll tell you, you're going to find out that exactly what I'm saying is right. Everything in your life is going to be intimately connected to the church. I'm not talking about the church generic the church, the church, you have to find the family that you connect to. You have to find the home that you connect to. You have to find the place where you're growing and becoming. And as you do that and you consistently engage that, you will become. If you, unless you stop yielding to it, of course, but you will become. The epicenter of God's plan in the earth is his church. Like it or not. And you can see, look, I, I'll speak from experience. How much of my tale am I going to tell? So when I would leave church and I would cut myself off from fellowship and community when I was younger, I would notice that I was just total calamity and drift in my life. But every time I would anchor myself to the church and to the people, didn't matter how bad it got, the storms didn't blow me out to sea, and my life wasn't totally decimated. So long as I was in and then out and then in and then out, my life reflected that exactly. Jesus was like, with me? Without me. With me, without me. It's me, Jesus, and my Bible. He didn't design it that way. We're, we're a family. God wants a family. We're intimately connected one to the other, whether we want to be or not. 
United States, there's, we got Baskin Robbins. We got 52 flavors of churches, right? We're spirit-powered, kingdom-oriented church. That's what we are, right? This is who we are. You, you, you know, that's, that's what I invite you to become a part of. But you are called to be part of a church because it's the epicenter of everything God will. He will never do it in your life without the church, ever, 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 ever. A lot of y'all got friends that don't come to church. They, some of them have been Christians 20, 30 years. What are they doing? Pfft, zero. Because everything God does, he does in and through the church. He grows you. He matures you. He activates you. He empowers you. He releases you. Not all church now, you say, well, wait a minute, Kevin. Not, I, will, I will agree that not all church cultures are the same. What I'm trying to show you is a healthy dynamic of what God intends. We don't necessarily always reflect the healthy dynamic that God intends, right? Jesus is calling for a protein bar, and we give him a Snickers bar. That's not exactly what he's asking for. You know what I'm saying? So we don't always do that. And so it's, it's important, like one, but I can speak for this church, that we do our very best to create something that God intends and that he wants. But what you need to know is that if you do not commit to community, commit and connect to church, you will, own, you will not grow. You will not change. You will, like, you will flatline. And it's not just about coming. It's about committing to becoming a part of the process, whatever that process is. Another story, another day. Say, how do you know that Jesus, the church is the epicenter of, of, of the church? Well, I got it on good authority. Jesus said, I say to you that, uh, that your name is Peter, and upon this church, upon this rock, I will build my church. So here it is, right? I'm going to show you this right here. The only, say it with me, the only thing. The only thing. In and look, okay, so I got to say this too, because I hear the word church hurt. Some of you have been hurt by churches. I get it. I understand it, right? People come to me and go, I've been hurt by churches. I'm always like, church hurt, get in line, Right? I mean, you know, I got, I got church hurt all over me. I've been shot. I've been stabbed. I've been chained and dragged behind a car. You know, I've had people do the worst things in the world to me, not only as a pastor, but as, in, all the way through ministry. I've been wounded by it. And in every sense of the way, church has hurt me, 100%. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said. I have the scar tissue to prove it. I, I've been hurt. I understand. Men with power don't do too well, right? People hurt each other. I understand that, but that doesn't mean we give up on it. That doesn't mean we stop doing it. You understand that? We all got church hurt. What church hurt has taught me is what not to do. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that, and I'm not treating people like that either, and I'm not doing that. That's what it taught me. It should teach you. It should mature you. The only thing in time and space that God is building is his church. It's the only thing he's building. There's nowhere else in scripture where you're going to see him say, I'm building my church. You say, we're all the church. He uses the word ecclesia here. So we're not all the church. He's talking about the church corporate. He didn't use that kaleo. He used ecclesia. So the argument that we're all the church, yes, we all are the church individually, but we are the church corporate. And we are the church local. And that is the ecclesia. Amen. And so when Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia, I will build the local assembly, I will build this church upon this rock. He's not building anything else. When you partner and work with the church, you can be guaranteed that you're partnering and working with Jesus. Why am I a pastor? I'm not a pastor because it was my life's ambition. I'm, that's not it at all. If anybody know me, you know that's not true. I'm, I'm a pastor because this is what Jesus is doing. And I want to be as close to him as I possibly can in what he's doing. Hmm? I don't want to work around him. I don't want to work away from him. I want to be right there with him, right there with him in what he's doing. And so this is what it is. It's the epicenter of what God is doing. The church is the governmental authority of heaven. How do you know that? Gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
To the ecclesia, he gives the keys to the realms of God. Another story, another day. Powerful word there. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking about the ecclesia. The ecclesia, he's positioning the church as the governmental authority on the earth of heaven. The church has the governmental power of heaven. I'm not saying we activate this stuff. I'm merely telling you the truth of it. We are woefully ignorant on how this works. Woefully. These are mysteries of the kingdom, but they are given to us. The ecclesia is the epicenter of what God is doing. You want to go to new realms? Through the church. You want to see authority grow in your life and dominion come in your life? Through the church. To him be glory, weight, substance, the Bible says. The word glory is a Hebrew word, kavod. It means weight, weight. Doxa in the Greek means radiance, but in the Hebrew it's weight. Hebrew doesn't always outdo the Greek. Usually the Greek outdoes the Hebrew. But on that word, Hebrew outdoes the Greek. Doxa means to glow. Kavod means weight or substance for glory. Yeah? To him be the substance of your life through the church. Your life has substance, right? Right? And you wonder why it doesn't function and it's dysfunctional. It doesn't function and it's dysfunctional because you're inconsistent. You're inconsistent. Inconsistency will never produce consistent results, Christian. If you're inconsistent, you cannot expect to have consistent results. Just a thought. The only thing that Jesus is personally building, it is the governmental authority of heaven on earth. 100%. The ecclesia is a protest, a revolt, and a revolution. We're salt and light, are we not? We're the flavor. If the salt loses its savor, we're good for what? Look at our culture. Is the church good for anything? No, honestly. As we look at what's going on in the world around us, what good is the church in light of this? We're good for nothing because we lose our salt. We, we have no salt. We, 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 we parrot the same things as the culture. We act the same way as the culture. We, we believe. We're too afraid to say anything. That's wrong. God forbid we say that's wrong, right? Not on my authority, on the Lord's authority. It has nothing to do with me, right? And we're good for nothing. We're trampled underfoot. We're a byproduct. We're moved past. Everybody just moves past us. Not God's intent. We're salt and we're light. We're supposed to light the way right? Salt preserves the meat. So the idea is when culture degrades, the church says, look, it's like, it's, I, I use the example of Cain in first service. When Cain said, when, when the Lord stood at Cain and said, Cain, sin lies at, the door, at your door and wants to destroy you. But if you will do what is right, God will not only accept you, he'll turn it all around. Amen. That's light. Amen. You understand? That's light. It's like the culture's degrading and the systems of our society are beginning to implode and erode, right? And the voice of the church is, if we will do what is right, if you will do what is right, God will turn the whole thing around. That's the idea. If you will listen to me and stop listening to yourself, if you will listen to me and stop listening to everybody else, stop lowering yourself to lesser voices and listen to me. I'll turn it all around. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. This is how God heals nations. He doesn't heal nations through changes in government. This is important to know. If you want to know how God changes, how God heals nations, he tells us. There's several places, but this is probably one of the most clear, or the one, definitely the one that most people know, is 2 Chronicles 7.14. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, doesn't just stop there and turn from their selfish ways. So there's a caveat there. It's not just, if we humble ourselves and pray, God's going to hear. He didn't say that. 
You got to turn from your selfishness too. <laughs> Ouch. I don't like that part, right? But if we will humble ourselves and pray and stop thinking it's all about me, it's all about us, and see a greater perspective, turn, from our, turn, turn, turn to the Lord and turn from our selfishness, he says, I will hear from heaven. And what will he do? Heal the land. How does God heal the land? He tells us. He tells us. Humble ourselves and pray and begin to turn from our selfishness. Lord, I renounce any partnership that I have with this culture in mindset or manner. I renounce it. Any, any connection I have with this culture in mindset or manner, I repent of it. And anything I'm unaware of, I give you the ability to clarify that for me so that I can turn from selfishness and not, my prayers would not be legally denied. The devil will legally deny the prayer because of covenantal agreements. That's turning from your selfish ways, turning from your arrogant ways, turning from what you think and what God wants. It's powerful stuff, Christian. This is deep Christianity. This is kingdom Christianity. This isn't let's suck our thumbs and sit in the corner Christianity. This is power. This is kingdom. This is what we want. Anybody want to see your land changed? Come on. How about the land of your family? Let's start there. Not even our, 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 our nation land. What would happen? Hmm? I don't even know. Jeremiah's here, but he, I just the story's coming to me. He used to pray for his neighborhood. He lived in one of the most crime-ridden neighborhoods. And is he here? Oh, yeah. Remember that? Remember that? And uh, he started praying and interceding for his neighborhood. And how, how much did the crime come down in a year? Because you had all the stats on all this, like 17% or something like that. In one year, he prayed for his neighborhood because it was really crime-ridden, and he took it upon himself to pray for his neighborhood. And he just told me this like in a passing statement. And the, the crime in his neighborhood went down 17% the year he prayed. You say, oh, that's coincidence. Is it? Is it? I don't think it's coincidence <laughs> at all. Consistently praying. And watch God heal the land of your family. Watch God heal the land of your finances. What land do you need healed? What land do you need healed? There's many lands, people. We occupy many spaces, many lands. We're salt and light. We're a city on a hill. We're a city within a city. We are a culture within a culture. That's what we are. We are to be the kingdom culture within the world's culture. How does that work out? That's another topic. We have, this, is, this, is, this is what we are to wrestle with. How do we work your culture, Lord, into this culture? These are the questions that we're to ask. These are the, this is, uh, Hebrew, Hebrew um, everything in this kingdom works on questions. If you don't ask questions, Jesus doesn't talk to you. I got news for you. And he never answers why questions. If you want to know, God never answers why questions. He doesn't answer why prayers. That's why when you go, why, Jesus, why? He doesn't answer it. That's the posture of a victim, and you're not a victim in his eyes. You're a victor. So if anybody here is praying why prayers, today's your day to stop praying why prayers. Lord, where am I off track here? Lord, what is the reason why these things continue to happen in my life? Where am I misguided? Where am I off track? What is the legal right that is being exercised against me demonically or spiritually? Those are the questions. And those are the questions he answers because that's the posture of a son and a daughter. When you're like, why, 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 crying on the floor, sucking your thumb, it's like a child, like a victim. He doesn't recognize victims. Read your Bible. This is through the Bible, too. You see Joshua crying, oh, God, oh, God. And the Lord's like, psh, psh, stand up, Joshua. You see Job crying, ah. He tells Job, stand up like a man. Hmm? Stand up. He tells Joshua, stop bawling, stop crying. 
get up. Don't look at, don't, don't approach me that way. We're overcomers, are we not? Do we possess the victory of Jesus or do we not? We don't have to beg for it. Take your rightful place as a son and daughter and pray as a son and daughter before your father and watch your prayers affect change. The effectual fervent prayers of the righteous avail much. We think it's just the fervent prayers. It's not the fervent prayers. It's the effectual prayers, which means we must pray with effect, which means there is a way to pray with effect. Huh? Another story, another day. Church is family. Church is not the family of man. Church is the brotherhood and sisterhood of believers. Say, we're all God's children. No, we're not. <laughs> They're God's creation. Scripture says to as many as received him, he gave the rightful authority to be called the children of God. The only ones in heaven and earth that have the rightful authority to say I'm a son or a daughter of the highest is someone who is Christ in their heart. Amen. The unbeliever does not have that right. They're the creation of God. They are not the children of God. They're not. Sons and daughters are born of his spirit. Sons and daughters are born of his kingdom. Sons and daughters are born again. Big difference. Who's favored? Sons and daughters. Nothing fair about favor. Here's another challenge for you. Start activating your favor. The bread is for the who? Right? You have favor. As many as received him. So what does it mean we're family? It means we're supposed to prefer one another. Prefer one another, right? We're supposed to serve and support one another. Help each other out. This place should be a place of encouragement and exhortation. I try to tell everybody, I said, look, if you're discouraged, you grab someone and you say, I need a word of encouragement. Just say something encouraging to me, right? This is what this house should all be about. It should be about encouragement and exhortation because we need it. We don't need a rah-rah from the pulpit. We need an encouragement. We do a lot of prophetic things here because prophetic is power. Prophetic is directional. Prophetic is encouraging and direction to your need. Another story, another day. This place should be a house of encouragement. Should be. Romans 1.11, I long to be with you so that I may be mutually encouraged by you. Yeah. Right? The gathering was a place of mutual encouragement where we're encouraged one by the other. It should be a place of celebration. We celebrate the successes of others. We serve, support one another. Galatians, therefore, as we have opportunity, do good, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. So the church is a family. We're a family, man. Dysfunctional family. Yes, we are, but we're a family. We're all broken. Church is full of hypocrites. I always say, yeah, there's room for one more. Come on down. Join the party. Join the, hypocrite, join the happy family of hypocrites. Anytime you have messiness, you have movement. When you don't have messiness, you don't have movement. Church likes everything stark and straight and clean, safe for the whole family. That's fine. We can create those silos, but there's no movement. There's no movement. When you look at the New Testament, you see movement. And what do you see? Nothing but mess. Nothing but mess. Leadership problems, heretical problems, immoral problems, nothing but mess. The whole back half of the New Testament was written to correct the churches. You have the mission of the Gospels, followed by the action the book of Acts, the church is supposed to take action. It's not the book of sitting. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we have action, right? Lights, camera, action, go. We think it's the book of sitting. It's the book of action. Come on. And then the rest of the books are all written to correct the people, not to take away from them, but to redirect. 
redirect, to confront false doctrine? Yes, this is true. But also correct the manner of their behavior. Why? Because, move, say with me, movement is messy. If you got a growing business, is it messy? Yeah. You don't have your handle on everything. You, you don't have control over everything. It's a mess. But you have movement, right? I'll take movement over, over no movement anytime. Anytime. All about movement, right? So the church is a family. So yes, is it messy? Yes, it's messy. Bible says, where there are no oxen, the stables are clean, but much can be accomplished with the strength of an ox. In other words, if we're going to do some work, it's going to get messy. So if you don't like it messy, then get rid of the workers. Then don't do anything. But if you're going to do something, it's going to get messy. It's the way it is. The church is a body. We are members of one another, Romans 12. And members that, and, and all, but all members do not have the same function. Being many, we are one. We are individually members of one another, having different gifts according to the grace that is given to us. Let us, say it with me, use them. So what the Bible is telling us is that we're a body. You're connect, we are symbiotically and intimately connected and that we are to join ourselves as a body. We become functional one to another. I can't scratch my nose without my hand, right? If I got an itch on my nose, my elbow just doesn't kind of get there. In other words, what the Bible is interdependent upon itself. I can't eat. Well, I guess I could just, well, I still couldn't do that. I have to go to the refrigerator and take the food out of the cabinet in order for me to eat. So I can't eat without my hands. You're like, yes, you can. Just stick your head in the, on the plate. You can eat. Yeah, that's true. But we need each other. We need our feet to carry us across the room. We need our organs to properly process the food, don't we? We need our skin to regulate the temperature of our body. We're interdependent upon one another. We need one another. We do. And so what the Bible is telling us is that we not only need one another, but we are to discover the uniqueness of our gifts, develop those gifts with, say with me, with character. Yeah. A lot of people got gifts, but they don't have character. Can't support your gift because without the character. You have to have the character if you ever want your gift to come forward. Character is not perfection, it's direction. But you still have to have character. A lot of people have a lot of talent, a lot of gifts. Oh, I got this gift, I got this gift. This is the gift I want to use. I'm like, how about we start with consistency? Let's start with that one first. Let's see consistency, and then we can talk about the dynamicness of your amazingness. <laughs> And then others, they have hidden gifts and hidden treasures, and they see no value and worth in what God has given them. Who told you that? Every one of us has, is gifted. Every one of us is connected to, to and empowered to do something. You may not have platform ministry. The most powerful ministry is often behind the scenes. Compassion is violently powerful. You know, people have compassion and mercy and justice and all kinds of different things. Those are gifts and strengths. God has empowered you with such things. Fairness and equity... There are people who have a strong sense of fairness and equity. That's a uniqueness given to you by your father. Creativity, it's a uniqueness given to you by your father. All of you have something. You have something not just to contribute, that God has gifted you as a contribution to your, to your life, but he's gifted you in order that that contribution would return to him and would build his church and build his body. That's the idea. True story. So the church is a body. We're instruments of, we're instruments of one another. Yeah, where Jesus extended to the world. If there is no body, Jesus doesn't go anywhere, right? We are the body of Christ to the world. This is what we are. We're to be united in function as one. Every one of us, say it with me. We are all, we are all equal, equal in value and worth. But we are unique in our abilities. 
This is what makes us different, is the uniqueness of our abilities. And we are to develop them with character and use them um, for all. It's like servitude. If you're part of Elevate, you should get involved here. Part of maturity as a Christian is commitment and connection to church. Not attending, committing and connecting. That's baseline, right? Then the next is beginning to develop. That's the next thing. But the first thing is commit and connect. Believe and belong, and then you become. That's the idea. You come to Christ, you belong. You're called to belong somewhere. You are. Not be a church dipper. I do, you know, well, I got five churches. I have people tell me that. I don't even answer that anymore. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. Five churches. I've had this one. I love this one. This is one of my favorites. Pastor, every time I need a word, I come to Elevate. I'm like, okay. I bring my friends when I need a word to Elevate. I go, do you realize what you're saying? That wherever else you're going, which I don't even know, there's no one giving you a word. There's no one giving you anything. You, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, you know, why are you going there if, there's no, if that doesn't exist? You know, it's just another story. But like you're called to commit somewhere. Commit somewhere. Give yourself to something and commit somewhere. This is what makes all of us strong, and it's what makes you strong. You get stronger. Say it with me. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about who I'm becoming. When you commit, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged on your character. You're going to be challenged on all your dysfunctions. You're going to be challenged on patience. You're going to be challenged on a lot of things. On a lot of things. You're going to be challenged on your pride, on your ego. You'll be challenged. Because but when we serve Jesus, it's not about what we're doing. It's about who we're becoming. If we will stay consistent, you would be amazed how much God will humble you. We don't like humility, but that's what God... God can't take you further until you're humble. And you can't be humble if you're completely impatient with people. You, you just, it just doesn't work. And so when you commit and connect, what God begins to do is he works on the character. Say this with me. Jesus, Jesus. is not interested in my comfort. His desire is my character. It has nothing to do with your comfort. It has everything to do with your character. Now, the modern American church thinks it's the other way around. It has nothing to do with character, and it has everything to do with your comfort. Are you comfortable? Is, do we have a vibrating? We, you know, we have a row of vibrating recliners down here. If you're not comfortable, we'll just sit you down here. Are you comfortable? Now, look, I'm all about serving people and helping and meeting people. I'm not talking about offending people, but we take comfort to extremes these days, man. And we focus on comfort over character. And what happens is we we're not producing Christians. It's important that you, we produce anemic believers. God wants you strong. You want to be strong, don't you? Don't you want to walk in power? Don't you want to walk in strength? Don't you want to be immovable? This is the, it doesn't come through Snickers bars, guys. You know, it just doesn't. If you like Snickers bars, have it. But, you know, don't be surprised if you have sugar rushes all the time and, you know, and all that other stuff. But... Nonetheless, it comes through strength of teaching and things like that. But you're called to commit and connect to a church. You're equal in value and worth. The church is an assembly. It's an ecclesia. It's a gathering of revolutionaries. Yeah? Come on. Hold your hand up like a revolutionary. Yeah, come on. Yeah? Say, it's a revolution of love. It's a revolution of power. It's a revolution of grace. It's a revolution of forgiveness. Restoration and reconciliation. I am an agent of change. I am part of God's ecclesia. I am part of the uprising. Holy Spirit, use me, change me, transform me in Jesus' name. <laughs>
Amen. Amen. So what does he expect? And the first thing God expects of us, like there's all these different things, and God expects us to say with me, show up. He expects us to show up. This is part of God's plan and purpose for your life. Show up. Do not forsake the assemblies together as, a, as the manner of some. Do you want to be some? He says there are some who don't value the assembly. That's the accepted. The exceptional understand it. There is an assembly that is necessary for your life. There is something that transpires when it's spiritually charged in the atmosphere that changes you. You don't understand it, but it's there. Some of you may not even remember a word I say, but you walk out and you're like, wow, I just, I just feel better. Just, you know, something's different. I don't know what's different. What did the pastor teach on? I can't remember, but it was really amazing. I don't really know. Right? There's something in the atmosphere. God charges the atmosphere. He said, I can have it at home. You're going to, you're, you will have a measure. There's a difference between measure and fullness. Worship alone and worship in a group. It's a big difference. Pray alone and pray in a group. Big difference. Big difference, right? Just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what does Jesus expect? He expects us to show up. What does he want from the assembly? He wants the worship and the presence of Jesus to be central. It's not, it's not about skinny jeans and smoke machines. It's not about personalities. It's about the personhood of Christ being at the center of everything. The person and the presence of God. It's not talking about Jesus. It's experiencing him. Experiential is what Jesus wants. Ephesians, that you would know the love of God. That word is epignosis. To know is gnosis. To experience is epignosis. That you would experience the love of God. Experiential knowledge is the essence of this kingdom. When you experience the knowledge, you know thing, you, you are unchangeable. Nothing changes you, right? And so the church is to be a house where we experience God's love. So what we do is we create atmospheres. We create a worship experience. I don't know if you noticed, we weren't just running through songs, if you were here for that. We're, trying to, we're not trying. We're invoking the atmosphere of glory, and the atmosphere of presence. That's the mission, right? The, the, the prayer, the interaction is to what? Bring you into an encounter with the Lord. Some of you never had an encounter with the Lord in your life. Some of you never had an encounter with the Lord in, in the last week. You need an encounter with Jesus. You need to be touched by the one who created you. You need to learn to encounter his presence and his spirit and learn these things and experience these things. And so the church is about, the church is about that. It's about that the personhood of Christ would be, up, would be the center of it all. It's about teaching. Jesus' title was rabbi. Rabbi, he taught them. Teaching is, in, is central. We are teaching and presence-centered. So we teach and signs follow, right? We pray for the sick. We prophesy. We do all kinds of supernatural stuff here. But we don't lead with that. We lead with teaching because that's what Jesus led with. He taught and did miracles. He taught and did miracles. Actually, if you want to get real specific, he prayed, he taught, he did miracles. He prayed, he taught, he did miracles. That's really how it went. And so that's, that's the dynamic. Jesus teaches them. So the idea God wants his people taught. People should become doers of the word. That's the next thing. Not that we just be taught, but that we actually do it. And then the last thing is that we support the church. Right? The church should be supported because the church matters to Jesus. It, things start moving in your life when the things that matter to Jesus begin to matter to you. So long as it matters to Jesus more than it matters to you, that power will never flow in your life. It just won't. 
It just won't. I can tell you, so I'll, I'll share it. I share this story all the time. Blind Bartimaeus. Healing matters to Jesus, not until it mattered to Bartimaeus. Read the story. That's the essence of that story, is Jesus isn't moving until it matters to you. He's the healer. He's walking down the street. Bartimaeus is crying out, heal me, Lord, heal me. Jesus is just cruising down the road. And it says, and Bartimaeus cried out all the more. He overcame all the voices of discouragement in his life. Shut up, Bartimaeus. Nobody wants to hear you. And he said, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, something penetrated his heart, and it mattered to him. And as soon as it mattered to Jesus, as soon as it mattered to Bartimaeus, he turned to Bartimaeus. Yeah. You know, placate, you know, play little games, little Christian games, little formula Christian games. It has nothing to do, it has to do with the heart all the time. It is always, 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 always about the heart connection. Always. Always. When that heart connection was made, boom, power comes. That's the way it is. Another story, another day. We're supposed to support the church with our time. We're supposed to support the church with our talents. And we're supposed to support the church with our treasure. Do you know why? Because it's not about you. We're raised in a culture of narcissism. We're trained, we train little baby narcissists and we train them up all their whole life to think it's all about them. It's all about you, yeah? You're special. Well, we're all special, right? It's a, we're all special. We're, our uniqueness comes in a relationship to Jesus. We're to give of our lives. If anyone seeks to let, find his life, they must lose it. Yeah, you give, you know, people say, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. Come on, we can clap for that. Yeah, so I don't have time to serve. I'm like, you don't have two hours a month? You have two hours a month to serve Jesus in his church? I gotta watch Netflix, man. You don't understand. You got time for Netflix. You got time for Jesus, right? Your talent, your, your talent. Oh, you know, I just, I just, you know, I, I just don't have the time. You, you have it, you just don't wanna give it. You don't make time, you take it. There is no making time. We all get 24 hours, the clock strikes 12, and we get 12 more, 24 more. You don't make time, you take it. And you take it and put it in the area that's priority to you. Just saying. Is Jesus priority to you? How much time do you give him? I'm not putting here it as a guilt. I'm talking about, like, like, look, I relate to the Lord all the day. I don't, like, sit on a lot of time. My day is, in, is breathing him. That's, that's my relationship with him. I wake up in the morning, and it's on. And every day, and when I'm on all day long, I'm, try, I'm trying to get myself into that connection. If I feel separated from that connection, I'm trying to find it again, and I'm going back in it. So it's not a matter of praying. I'm constantly in a, in a, in a, trying to be in a communal aspect. That's, that would be a great step for some of you. Another step would be just involving, making a sacrifice, a sacrificial commitment of servitude. How about that? Yeah. Giving up your time. I don't have time. What would happen if you started giving Jesus time and he started extending your time? Because he does do that. Yeah? He's infinity. That's why when you worship, when you know the presence is here is when time goes. When an hour goes like that, and you're like, where'd the time go? Because eternity is here. God is the master of eternity. What if he can, ex he can extend your time? No problem. No problem. But you have to commit to that. You have to give. What if you gave your time to Jesus? What if you wrote it down and said, there is nothing that will come before the Lord? I'll tell you to do it for 12 months. Yeah, some of you make gym commitments. Make a little bit more than a gym commitment and give Jesus 12 months. Where you're going to give, 
You're going to serve, and you're going to do everything that he asks. And write it down and measure your life just 12 months and see if your life isn't drastically different than it has been at any other point in your life. It'll be night and day. Your treasure. You say, I can't give, Pastor. You talk about the tithe. I can't give 10%. Can you give 1%? Can you give 1% of all that Jesus blesses you with? Can you give one penny on $1, and can you do it every week, and can you do it consistently? Can you do that? What's your excuse there? One penny on $1. I knew a guy who was dead broke, took the button off his shirt, gave. You know why? I will not make an offering to God that costs me nothing. I will not stand before one so great and not honor him. Where's your perspective? Where's your perspective? God says in Malachi, it's the whole point of the tithe. He tells him, I'm your father. Where's my honor? The giving was based on honor. It wasn't based on obedience. They're talking about, why don't you see us? And he said, I'm your father. Where's my honor? Right? He says, I'm a great king. If you won't honor me, I'll find a people who will. He says, you give me the lame, you give me the leftovers, you give me whatever you can scrounge up. And if you're bored and have nothing better to do, you'll give it to me. He says, offer that to your governor. Offer that to your boss. Am I less than that? Please. Please. Some of you, you need to discipline. And the root word of discipleship is discipline. Discipline. That is what the root, if you want to know what the root of discipleship is, it's discipline. Consistently doing it means learner under discipline. Learning and disciplining yourself to consistently do the things that you're learning. You want change, it requires focus. You need to get rid of all the priorities that are not in priority with what God wants. Another story, another day. It's the structure of the church. I'm going to pray. We're going to anoint uh, Marcus and, and Diana this morning. And uh, Margie, too. We're going to pray for her for leadership for the children's ministry. But the structure of the church, so this is it. Jesus is the head, right? All right, I got nine minutes. I'm going to make this happen, right? Bible says this, and Christ is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn of all, above all things, that in all things he may have the supremacy. Jesus is in charge. And this verse here, that in all things he may have the supremacy, that was one of the marking points of my life. In everything, Lord, I give you supremacy. In everything, Lord, I give you supremacy. In everything, Lord, I give you supremacy. Try that one on. Come on, Christian. This is, this is all in gospel. This is all in kingdom. This is, this is Jesus, you are my everything. I surrender all. This isn't just a song. This is truth. Give him all. Relate to him. Let him start guiding you and telling you. Let him start leading you in that way. Your life will change. Your life will change, man. He makes his angels ministers. He makes, his angels, he makes his angels spirits and his ministers flames of fire. Don't you want to burn? <laughs> I love to burn. Flame on, Jesus. Let's go. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Come on. He establishes five-dimensional leadership. So these are, just, these are offices, but these are also the dimensions the church is supposed to operate in. It says, therefore, when he ascended, as Ephesians 4, he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. God gave ministry offices, and then he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ, to bring us into the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, right? 
directing us towards the knowledge of God, to build us up into a perfect or rather a mature person. So there again, the gifts, the, 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 the ministry offices are given to equip the saints to build them up, to edify and to encourage them, and to help mature them in the knowledge and understanding of God so that they would not be carried away by every wind and doctrine, that their lives would stop being wrecked by a tornado, right? And the trickery and cunningness of men. You would stop being deceived by every and the craftiness of deceitful plans. Speaking the truth in love, we grow up into him who is the head of the Christ from whom the whole body is knit together. So God gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are the fivefold ministry offices that God gives to his church. They are not just offices of his church. They are dimensions that God desires within his church. The apostolic means to go forth and build. Jesus wants the dimension of his church to go forth and build. Jesus wants the prophetic dimension within his church. He wants it to be called forth. He wants it to be spoken out. He wants it to be decreed. He wants it to be declared. Prophetic is necessary. He wants the, he wants the church to be evangelistic. None of us would argue with that one, right? At least I hope you wouldn't. So he's, he wants the, the evangelistic dimension to exist within his church. He wants the pastoral dimension to exist in his church. The pastoral dimension is really what's called shepherding, which is taking care of people. That's what we, we, our churches tend to be run by the title of pastor, but not every person that leads the church is a pastor in that office. You know what I'm saying? Not every, sometimes you have churches that are led by evangelistic people. Sometimes you have churches that are led by prophetic people. Sometimes you have churches that are led by uh, apostolic people. But the word pastor means to care. So he wants that dimension happening. And I'll just throw in a note here for, for life groups. That's where life groups actually come in within this church is it's one to the other. It's not about just ministry, but it's about minister, teaching the people to minister one to the other. Life groups are to be a support network. That's really what it is. The Bible says they met publicly and they met in houses. And when you meet in houses and you meet with your group or however we're doing it, some of them we're doing online, but nonetheless, there's a group of people around you that are involved or at least there and become a support network for you. So when you're going through stuff, people can pray for you. Nobody needs, nobody needs you to air their laundry, but if you're going through something, there's, a, there's, there's, there's prayer, there's encouragement, there's celebration if something good happens. That's the whole idea. That's, past, that's actually pastoral ministry exists within the life group. Yes, there's pastoral ministry within the church where the people can be cared for, but one of the biggest ways to distill that is to use life groups. Another one is teacher, teachers instruct. So those are the, those are the dimensions that God wants. The way that God establishes his church is in, in all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the same biblical model. Many of our modern churches and our ancient churches do not follow this biblical model, but this is the biblical model. The biblical model is a senior leader surrounded by a council. That's always been the model. That's the model of Moses. That's the model of Jesus. That's the model of the New Testament all the way through. So there's a senior leader surrounded by other people, elders specifically, and deacons, which is another word. Those are words we don't throw around too much. The elder is the word episkopos, right? It means episkopos and presbyter. Presbyter more relates to a council, but episkopos means overseer. So in other words, the pastor is responsible, or in my, in my role, my senior leadership role, I'm responsible for the direction of the church, the culture, the temperament, the tone. The elders come around and help administrate that, that job. The, the deacons or the leaders come around and help administrate that job. Does that make sense to you? All to do what? To develop you, the people, further to what? To become mature, to become, um, you know, move into leadership yourself, to help activate these, power, these, these things within the church. This is how God structures it. 
You have one in 24 elders. You have this, uh, the high priest surrounded by 24 elders. You have Moses surrounded by 70. You have Jesus with, surrounded by... You have, it's, it's always that model. It's always that model. In the New Testament, all of the models were led by a senior leader surrounded by a plurality of elders. That's how God does it. That's, how God, that's his effective way of doing it. That's what a healthy dynamic looks like. It's, nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. The elders to take oversight over the areas of the church that align, because we're going to pray for an elder this morning, and to align them with the church's vision. The deacon or leader, which is the word diakonos, so deacon basically means table waiter, and it also means servant or a leader. So servitude in this kingdom, it, leadership in this kingdom is servitude. We, we, would we agree with that? Amen. It's greater to serve than to be served, right? And the whole dimension, Jesus said, I serve. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Servant is not greater than their master. So the whole attitude of the kingdom is that when people are elevated in a ministry status, you know, with a title or anything like that, what they're actually doing is they have to come to a greater level of servitude towards the people. It's always about the Lord, and then it's always about the people. That's what it's all about. Honor the Lord, bless the people. Simple. You want to do ministry? I'll tell you real quick. Honor the Lord, bless the people. Say it with me. Honor the Lord, bless the people. It's real easy, right? <laughs> In theory, it's easy. <laughs> I'm asking myself, is it? Is it easy, Kevin? Is it? <laughs> they're to do this with the assistance of the people, and they're to work with ministry. So in other words, the people are to work with the deacons and the elders to accomplish these different roles. So here's the qualifications, and then I'm going to call them up, and we're going to pray. And they're going to be, they're, they're my elders, but they're your elders as well. They're the elders of this church. Do you understand that? And they're God's appointed to help minister. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this to you. Number one, I'll just run through the qualifications quickly. They're not to be a novice. Now, I like this. It says that it, doesn't say, it doesn't say they have to be an expert, which is amazing. But they can't be a novice. They don't need to be an expert, but they definitely can't be a novice, you know. So they can't, they can't be that. So not to be a novice. People speak well of them. So the people that know them have good things to say about them. They're not drunkards, you know. They don't party like it's 1999. Uh, they're not sexually immoral. Uh, they're clear with constructive thinking. So they're, they're thought sober-minded. They, they, they think clearly and they think constructively. They're not gossips or backbiters, which is important, being, holding that position. They're hospitable, which means they're welcoming of strangers. That's what hospitality means in the New Testament. It means you welcome people you don't know. They serve their family well. They're not arrogant, and this is an important one, not arrogant or abusive with power. Isn't that important? So God does not expect his leaders. Some of you have been hurt by people who've been abusive with power. What you need to know is that's not God's intent. His intent is that the leader serve. His intent is that the pastor not wound, right? That's, that's the idea. And his intent is that if there's someone that's going to be wrong, the Lord says, well, why don't you be wrong and let that person go? Another story, another day. But they're not to be abusive with power. And the difference between an elder and a deacon in this sense, the only, the only really distinct difference between them is that the elder must be versed in Scripture, able to teach. And so someone that is qualified as a deacon has to meet these same standards of qualifications. It's not about perfection. None of us are. But the only difference with an elder is that they have to be able to handle the word. They have to be able to be faithful in word and doctrine. They have to understand, like, how to, how to do that. It's not about the position. It's about the mission. Titles in the kingdom are given for greater levels of servitude. 
the position of elder. The Bible says those that, have, that are given the issue of art. It says give honor to those who serve, especially those in word and doctrine. It talks about giving double honor to those who serve in, as elders. So they're to be honored, but the person is to serve. Sometimes we get a little narcissistic in our leadership, and we think it's all about me, glorious me. All of you exist for me. It's not about that at all. My job is to serve you. Every time I come up here, what do you want, Lord? What do you want, Lord? Do you love me, Peter? What? Feed my sheep, right? Do you care for me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Take care of my sheep. That's what he says. He tells him to feed them and take care of them. That's what it's all about. Jesus loves you so much. He cares about you. It's another story, another day. And so it's not about the position. It's not about the person. It's about the position is to be honored, but the person is to serve. If you want to meet some more of our leaders, we got a little lunch afterwards after this service called Discover Elevate. We got Poyle Tropical in there and everything, but you get to meet some of our leadership team and get to know a little bit about our church. If, you, if you're new to Elevate and you want to kind of know what we're all about, we, we do this from time to time. And uh, today is actually this is going on. So what I would like to do is I would like to ask Marcus and Diana to come up and my beautiful wife to come too. Would you bring anointing oil, Sherry, please? I don't think I have any. Please. So our elders, uh, Tom and Rose Paradiso, are um, uh, their elders as well. They're in Alaska visiting their son in the Air Force. He was supposed to fly in because he wanted to be here for this, but his plane got canceled, so Tom and uh, Rose couldn't come. And then also Hank and Millie Bowles have been elders with this church since it started, but Hank's working in Michigan right now, but he still holds the office. Um, so... Uh, Tom and Tom and Ro Tom essentially oversees a lot of the business side uh, of the church. Um, Marcus and Diana are going to be assuming um, assuming uh, oversight of the leadership, and in particular the development of our leadership team, the structure and the mentoring, and all of the different things aspects that relate to our leadership team. So that's going to be his pr one of their um, primary functions, among other things, as they come. Uh, Marcus leads uh, the men's group as well. Men of Valor. He's 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 flexing the shirt right now. So if you want to be part of Men of Valor and you need a men's group. You can be a man, you know. What ha say with me? What ha all the one all the men to say? What happens in the men's group stays in the men's group. That's the rule one that ever they say every time. So anyway, um, we're gonna pray for them. I'm gonna ask them to come up here if you would please, and just to present themselves before you. I'm gonna pray over them. Diana, what does that? She oversees prayer, and Diana is not second fiddle. So I told her in the first service that we believe that God uses teams and that if he calls one, he calls both. And that she is not to see herself in any lesser or a diminished role, that she holds the office with her husband. And so you hold this office equally and um, you are endowed in the same manner. So God, positionally different, of course, it's all, there's lots of differences, you know, but nonetheless. Um, but God will show her and develop her and give you ideas and what's gonna, what happens is when you, be, when you step into a different role, your life changes. It just happens. One of the things that happens is probably some skeletons are going to come flying out of the closet, not because it's necessary, but because God is trying to leave that part of your life behind because you're coming to an ex. When I became an elder, I felt like my life went into chaos with this other church. And, and, and literally, you know, thankfully, they, they helped me you know, process some of the stuff that's going on, but you have to leave, if you're gonna to go to another level with the Lord, you have to leave some things behind. And so when God's showing you your baggage, it's usually because you're praying to get, take you to another level. If you're praying to take you to another level and everything gets really whacked out, it's because Jesus is like, I wanna take you there, but we can't take this stuff with us. 
So we need to deal with this stuff, and then we can go to the next level. So don't be shocked if stuff like that happens. I mean, I, maybe nothing will happen, but most likely what will happen there is that will happen, but there will also be an elevation. You'll notice something different. You'll notice something different with yourself. You'll notice like a quickerness to wisdom. You'll, you'll start noticing things like about this church because you're being ordained into this church. And so you'll notice things like that. You'll be given ideas and concepts, and you'll be like, wow, I think I have an idea for that. You're like, I didn't have that idea before, but I have that idea now. And God will accelerate that because he will, he will gift you in the office. He equips the called. So he will give you the equipment that's necessary to do the things that are set before you. And you'll see, you'll, you'll see that things are going to change. It's, just, it's, a natural, it's a natural part of the process. So we're going to pray over them, right? You guys, if you would just stretch your hands forth just by faith and just receive them as well. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this couple, Lord. We thank you for their hearts that they have for this church. We thank you that for their hearts that they have towards this, uh, through these people. And what what's required of a servant is that they be found faithful. And I thank you that this couple is found faithful, Lord, and consistent, and that their hearts are to you, Lord. Their hearts are towards these pastors, towards us as pastors, and their hearts are towards these people. And their hearts are for the betterment and the glory of your name and your kingdom. And so, Lord, we release that anointing and that you would empower them an even greater level and in greater capacity. We receive them, Lord, into this fellowship and we receive them into the mantled office that you have ordained. I bless them in every way, Lord, and we release the anointing of this church into and upon their lives in every manner. Holy Spirit, we thank you and we just accelerate that in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to pray? All right. Father, we thank you so much for this couple. We thank you, Father, that as Moses had the gift of leadership, Father, you're releasing that over them now. Lord, I pray also that they would have the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon was given a hearing ear. He asked for it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open their ears and their understanding and their eyes, and they would discern and hear more clearly as they lead. And so I pray that anointing over their life. Father, we pray right now for more to come upon them, an expansion, an increase, and an acceleration of the plan, the pursuits, the processes, the strategic systems in which you want to use them. So Father, we thank you for courage as well. And God, just pray with us. Release, put your hand forward. Father, right now we ask that you commission them. You put your ordination on them. You put your rest upon them with power, with fire, the Holy Spirit, God, and you give them the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding, and the empowerment to do the works of God. We pray boldness as well and courage in all of the ideas, the systems, the processes, and the directives that you give, Holy Spirit. You're the center of all things and the center of their lives and the center of this church. And so, Lord, we thank you, Father, for your way and your will and your purpose to be done through their lives. In your powerful and wonderful, mighty name, Holy Spirit, Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. Amen. All right. Welcome with me, Marcus and Diana Smith. Hallelujah. Amen. We bless you guys. Thank you. All right. So we're going to dismiss. I'm going to say a prayer out over you. Um, if you're going to hang out for Discover Elevate, it's going to be in that room right there, uh, probably in 10 minutes. Um, we'll have a prayer team available if you need it. And then let me just bless you one more time. I just want you to receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Discover Elevate. All the other good stuff going on.
Love you guys. Bless you guys.